Welcome to Monday Morning Murder in the News with Alyssa Carroll. Good morning, heathens, and happy Murder in the News Monday. That is unfortunately being put out on Tuesday because, you know, life. And you guys know we are here because the rest of the news is just hot, scary garbage, and you know you'd rather be hearing me and my bullshit anyway. So, I have a lot of people sending me a lot of articles, so shout out to everyone who is sending me articles. Um, Jessica is still on the number one spot. Thank you so much, and I also wanted to reiterate, I do not read these articles ahead of time. I just look at the headlines, and then I save them to give to you. So we are going to experience these news articles together. So without further ado, let's get into it. And so our first article comes from TheMessenger.com, The Messenger Politics, and the title reads, Crenshaw and AOC sponsor military psychedelic research bill. Now, normally, I would not touch politics with a 10-foot pole from either direction, but it's psychedelics. So it says it's the second attempt by the bipartisan duo to get the legislation enacted. Representative Dan Crenshaw, Republican from Texas, announced legislation Wednesday, co-sponsored by a bipartisan group of lawmakers, including Representative AOC, Democrat from New York, that would authorize the Department of Defense to study the use of psychedelics to treat certain health issues among military members. Quote, 27% of post-9-11 veterans are diagnosed with PTSD. Truth is, we have not made much progress, Crenshaw said. We have to think outside the box. We have to do something new, end quote. The bill would sponsor research into the applications of MDMA, psilocybin, ibogaine, and DMT, Q. Joe Rogan, I kid, I kid, and for those suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder or traumatic brain injuries or chronic traumatic encephalopathy, that's a hard one, it would create a $75 million grant program through the Defense Department with $15 million to be administered every fiscal year from 2024 to 2028. The bill sponsors have named the legislation Douglas Mike Day Psychedelic Therapy to Save Lives Act in honor of Douglas Mike Day, a Navy SEAL who survived getting shot 27 times at close range. Day was diagnosed with PTSD and traumatic brain disorder and died by suicide this year. Quote, we need to study this innovative therapy to give our service members a chance to continue that service when they are treated, said Crenshaw. So Crenshaw and AOC introduced similar legislation in 2022. It passed the House before stalling out in the Senate. Well, I don't know how I feel about all of that kind of stuff. I've heard low-dose um, cybacillin, which is shrooms, very, very low or micro doses, I think, have been shown to be kind of beneficial for people with depression. So, I mean, I'm all for this research if it will help our veterans. So, our next article comes from abc30.com, and the title reads, Video shows ex-employee crashing truck into Hanford Jewelry Store. So, it's from Hanford, California. 
a man who Hanford police say drove his truck into a jewelry store before fatally shooting himself has been identified. Authorities say the former store employee is 49-year-old Raul Arzate. The crash and shooting happened at about 2 p.m. Thursday on the 7th and Dowdy Streets. Dowdy Streets. On Friday, police released surveillance video showing the moment he slammed his truck into Candace & Co. jewelry store. Once inside the store, officials say he fired several shots at people before shooting and killing himself. There were five people inside the business at the time. No one was hit by the gunfire, but they all suffered minor injuries during the crash. Investigators say that he had worked for the company for about 20 years. As the investigation continues, businesses along Main Street opened their doors Friday afternoon. So, wow, that's kind of crazy. Our next article comes from Newsweek.com and the title reads, Boy 8 falls into 338-foot volcanic crater. So an eight-year-old boy was rescued after he fell into a 328-foot-deep sinkhole crater in the Galapagos Islands. The French boy had been visiting Los Gamelos, a pair of craters on Santa Cruz Island, with his family when the July 7th incident took place, Galapagos National Park said in a statement, quote, the details of the fall are still unknown, but fortunately the quick action of rescuers trained for these emergencies managed to pull him out of the bottom of the more than 100 meters or 328 feet crater, park officials said in a Facebook post. Post? In a Facebook post. The boy received multiple injuries to his face and head and was quickly transferred to Santa Cruz's Republic of Ecuador Hospital for examination, according to the EFE news agency. Ecuador's Galapagos Islands receive over 200,000 visitors annually. The twins, or Los Gemelos, I'm probably butchering that, are two large craters in the upper region of Santa Cruz, separated only by a narrow highway. The twin craters were formed by the collapse of surface material over the two underground chambers, according to Galapagos National Park. These chambers are thought to have been caused by ancient volcanic activity on the island. So... Um, the boy is in stable condition and will be transferred to a hospital in the Ecuadorian city of Guayaquil for further examination. You guys have been very good about letting me know that I'm pronouncing things correctly, so um, I have a little ego about it. Uh, that's probably squashed now. So the director of the Santa Cruz Hospital, Boris Daza, told local media it was something miraculous that the boy was not more severely injured. I mean, that's pretty deep. So it is sort of a miracle that he isn't more injured. Good Lord. So our next news article comes from APNews.com, and the title reads, Police link a man to two women whose bodies were found in different Minnesota storage units. So coming out of St. Paul, Minnesota, the body of a Minnesota woman who had been missing for two years was found in a storage unit, and St. Paul police said Friday that her death had been linked to a man who was charged after another woman's 
dismembered body was found in a different storage unit in another Minneapolis suburb. Joseph Jorgensen hasn't yet been charged in Fanta crazy last name's death, but the 40-year-old was charged last week with second-degree murder in the death of Manage or Manny Starin, 33. So, crazy last name's body was found Thursday in a Coon Rapids storage unit. Wow. While Storin's body was found last month in a storage unit in Woodbury. Woodbury? That makes me think of the governor. St. Paul Police Sergeant Mike Ernster said Jorgensen is a person of interest, quote-unquote, in the 33-year-old crazy last name's death after investigators connected him to the Coon Rapids storage unit. Police are now trying to determine if Jorgensen could be linked to any other missing people. Quote, it's nothing short of horrific, Ernster said. The Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension received a tip in May that, crazy last names, had been in an abusive relationship with Jorgensen, oh, the plot thickens, before her disappearance in July of 2021. Police have said that Starin and Jorgensen had also been in a relationship before her death. Police have not determined where or when crazy last names was killed. I'm really not trying to be disrespectful. Uh, investigators searched a home Friday that Jorgensen used to live in until last September. Jorgensen's attorney did not return a call from the newspaper Friday. So, let's see. According to court documents, prosecutors believe Jorgensen dismembered Starin's body and carried her remains out of the apartment in Maplewood in duffel bags and a small suitcase. Video from the apartment building showed Starin running from Jorgensen on April 21st before he caught her and pushed her back inside. She wasn't seen leaving the apartment again. Yikes. Oh, I'm glad he was caught. Our next article comes from KTLA5, LA's very own. Title reads, James Lewis, the suspect in the 1982 Tylenol poisonings that killed seven in the Chicago area, has died. So the suspect in the 1982 Tylenol poisonings that killed seven people in the Chicago area triggered a nationwide panic and led to an overhaul in the safety of over-the-counter medication packaging, has died, police said on Monday. Officers, firefighters, and EMTs responding to a report of an unresponsive person at about 4 p.m. Sunday found James W. Lewis dead in his Cambridge, Massachusetts home. Cambridge Police Superintendent Frederick Cabral said in a statement he was 76. Now, see, I thought maybe they, he died in jail. Shows what I know. Quote, following an investigation, Lewis's death was determined to be not suspicious, the statement says. No one was ever charged in the deaths of seven people who took the over-the-counter painkillers laced with cyanide. I think Ted Kaczynski was um, kind of an underground suspect, wasn't he? Lewis served more than 12 years in prison for sending an extortion note to manufacturer Johnson & Johnson demanding $1 million to, quote, stop the killing. He and his wife moved to Massachusetts in 1995 following his release. Listed numbers for his wife were not in service. 
So when Lewis was arrested in New York City in 1982 after a nationwide hunt, he gave investigators a detailed account of how the killer might have operated. Lewis later admitted sending the letter and demanding the money, but said he never intended to collect it. He said he wanted to embarrass his wife's former employer by having the money sent to the employer's bank account. That literally is not even logical. So Lewis, who had a history of trouble with the law, always denied any role in the Tylenol deaths, but remained a suspect and in 2010 gave DNA samples to the FBI. He even created a website in which he said he was framed. Although the couple lived briefly in Chicago in the early 1980s, Lewis said that they were in New York City at the time of the poisonings. Whether it was him or not, he was a suspect and he died. That's what we get from that article. (laughs) Okay, here's kind of a heavier one, and this one has definitely polarized the true crime community. This comes from APNews.com. The title reads, Charles Manson follower Leslie Van Houten released from prison a half century after grisly killings. So coming out of Los Angeles. Charles Manson follower Leslie Van Houten, a former homecoming princess who at 19 helped carry out the shocking killings of a wealthy Los Angeles couple at the direction of the violent and manipulative cult leader, walked out of a California prison Tuesday after serving more than 50 years of a life sentence. Van Houten, now 73 years old, quote, was released to parole supervision, the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation said in a statement. She left the California Institution for Women in Corona, east of Los Angeles, in the early hours of the morning and was driven to transitional housing, her attorney said. Quote, she is still trying to get used to the idea that this is real her attorney said. So days earlier, Governor Gavin Newsom announced he would not fight a state appeals court ruling that Van Houten should be granted parole. He said it was unlikely the state Supreme Court would consider an appeal. Van Houten was originally sentenced to death for helping Manson's followers carry out the August of 1969 killings of Lino LaBianca, a grocer in Los Angeles, and his wife, Rosemary. Her sentence was later commuted to life in prison when the California Supreme Court overturned the state's death penalty law in 1972. Voters and state lawmakers eventually reinstated the death penalty, but it did not apply retroactively. So most of us are very familiar with this story, right? But I'm going to continue to read the article for those who might not be. The LaBiancas were killed in their home and their blood was smeared on the walls afterward. Van Houten later described holding Rosemary LaBianca down with a pillowcase over her head as others stabbed her. Then, ordered by Manson follower Charles Tex Watson to, quote, do something, Van Houten said she picked up a knife and stabbed the woman more than a dozen times. The slayings happened the day after Manson followers killed actress Sharon Tate and four others. Van Houten, who was 19 at the time, did not participate in the Tate killings. And that's kind of kind of one of those misnomer things or inaccuracies in, in the lore of the Manson situation. Van Houten was not at Sharon Tate's house. So Van Houten is expected to spend about a year in a halfway house, adjusting to a world changed immeasurably by technology in the past half century. 
Quote, she has to learn to use the internet. She has to learn to buy things without cash. It is a very different world than when she went in. So, again, this has been a very kind of polarizing situation where a lot of people are like, eh, she served her time. She doesn't offer, pose any threat. She's been very open and honest about her role and and that, you know, she admitted that she stabbed Miss LaBianca so many times and all of that. Um, admitted openly that she had been sort of conditioned through high doses of LSD and so on and so forth. And then you have the other camp, which is she did this horrible, horrible thing. She should never be released. And I understand both sides. But let me know what your opinion is on this. I would love to know. Okay, so our next article also deals with kind of a big name, right? So this comes from the mirror.co.uk. Title reads, Notorious serial killer who claimed he killed over 100 is shot dead outside the family home. Now, I know that back in my Instagram, you know, chapters, one a day, every day, to tell the whole story, I know I covered um, Padrino Matador, but I don't know if I've covered him in an actual podcast. So if you want me to cover him, just let me know. So the article goes on to say, a notorious serial killer who claimed he killed over 100 people has been shot dead. Pedrino Matador had his throat cut and was fatally shot while outside a family member's residence in Brazil. The 68-year-old was attacked on the pavement of Mogi das Cruzes, located in the Sao Paulo state, on Sunday morning. The military police reported that the assailants drove away in a black car, which was later discovered with ammunition nearby. Police believe that the suspect left the car and escaped into another vehicle. The relative told police that Pedrino Matador, Killer Petey, was sitting on a chair when, he, when the black car pulled up and two armed masked men got out. She said one told her, quote, it's nothing to do with you. Take your daughter and go inside. Then they shot Pedrino Matador before one cut his throat with a kitchen knife. The two then got back into the car and sped off as a stunned passerby called the police. Now, the case has been classified as aggravated murder by the civil police, but no arrests were made. Pedrino Matador, whose full name is Pedro Rodriguez Filo, was incarcerated for 42 years after his initial arrest in 1973. In a 2003 interview, he confessed to killing more than 100 people, including during his time in prison. Basically, the article goes on to say that he started murdering when he was 14 years old um, because, like, the municipality's mayor had, had fired his father from his job as a night watchman at the local school and that he had killed 40 people in jail, having served nearly 30 years, and he said he had no regrets because many, almost all of his victims, are believed to have been drug dealers, rapists and murderers themselves so we're talking like a dexter situation so among his tattoos were images of daggers and the motto i kill for pleasure so regardless he is now dead the murderer of murderers is now dead okay so our next article comes from the new york post this is yet another heavy one guys 
And the title reads, Cooler Removed from Gilgo Beach Suspects Long Island Home. So I'm sure that we have all heard that they have allegedly, supposedly caught the Long Island silk serial killer. Um, I did do a podcast on him way back. And actually, a close friend of mine sent me a TikTok of a guy who said that if any podcasters, like this guy, specifically would listen to everybody's stuff about him. And so podcasters, if you did content about the Long Island serial killer, he probably listened to you. And that was kind of funny. I was like, well, thank God I live in the middle, far, far away from all of that because yikes. But anyway, obviously I'm going to have to revisit, right? But back to the article. So Police removed a cooler from the Long Island home of the suspect arrested in connection to the notorious Gilgo Beach murders Friday morning, a source told the Post. State and Suffolk County authorities swarmed the home of Rex Huerman, 59, on First Avenue in Massapequa Park after his arrest in the early hours. So Rex, a married dad of two and an architect who runs RH Architects in New York City, is expected to appear in court later Friday. Shortly before 9.30 a.m., hours after the initial early morning arrest, at least eight investigators in forensic gear were still milling around the home near a quiet suburban intersection. Hewerman had been on the Special Gilgo Beach Homicide Investigation Task Force's radar for at least a year. He was finally arrested after being linked to the so-called Gilgo 4 through DNA, the sources explained. So it is unclear if police believe the cooler is tied to the Gilgo 4 killings or is possibly connected to additional crimes. Suffolk County officials and the FBI confirmed that they will announce a, quote, significant development in the case at a press conference scheduled for 4 p.m., according to a joint news release. Um, so if you have seen a picture of this guy, he is massive. So this article was written July 14th. We're on the 17th. So this was three days ago. But if you've seen them, there's a picture where they're walking him out in handcuffs and he is just like, it's really giving me like Kemper vibes. He is absolutely massive guy. And then he was targeting, allegedly, supposedly, allegedly, targeting these really kind of petite sex worker girls. And I'm all of 5'3 and a bit of change. So kind of intent. I'm really kind of glad I didn't live anywhere near there. I mean, I'm not a sex worker, but you know what I'm saying. Moving on, we're at abc30.com, and the title reads, Three, quote, heavily decomposed bodies discovered at remote wilderness campsite. Three heavily decomposed people have been discovered at a remote campsite in the Colorado wilderness, and authorities are trying to figure out who they are and how long they might have been there for. The gruesome discovery was made by a person hiking in the Gold Creek campground early Monday morning in a remote area of Colorado, some 150 miles south of Aspen in the southwestern part of the state, when the hiker discovered a remote campsite with a heavily decomposed deceased individual within the camp. So, quote, at approximately 8.02 a.m. on Monday, July 10th, 2023, Investigators with the Gunnison County Sheriff's Office located the campsite and discovered two additionally 
heavily decomposed deceased individuals within the campsite. It appeared the individuals have been deceased for a substantial period of time, end quote. The cause of death for the three individuals is not currently known and is pending the completion of an autopsy, authorities said. It is not known how long the autopsy will take due to the condition the bodies were found in. So Southwest Colorado, I've not been over there, but it makes me think that's pretty deserty, right? So dry air, perhaps if it's not moist, humid air like Satan's armpit that I live in. Dramatic pause. So perhaps they were preserved a little bit differently. I'm really not sure. So, quote, there are no known risks to residents or outdoor enthusiasts re recreating in the area associated with this unfortunate event. That is a misspelling in the article. The identities of the deceased individuals have not yet been released and police are not making any other details about this public at this time. Hmm. Well... I don't know if I'll come across the continuation of that case, but um, glad they were found regardless for their families. And then our next article is kind of off the beaten path for our particular genre, but it comes from Insider.com and the title reads, this one comes from my girl Jessica, an otter in California that keeps bullying people off of their surfboards has been too quick for wildlife officials to catch. And then there's a picture of this otter with his little hands up. You know how they lay on their back. It's pretty cute. So it just says, an otter in California is forcing people off of their surfboards has so far evaded the grasp of wildlife officials. Divers tried to capture the otter last week with a bait surfboard, but it was too quick for them. The otter's mother is also known to wildlife officials for approaching boats and kayaks. So people have recently filmed otters aggressively attacking people on surfboards in California. One In one video, an otter named Otter 841 by wildlife officials can be seen climbing onto and then gnawing on a surfboard near Santa Cruz. Quote, this is a dangerous sea otter. Avoid it if at all possible, the caption reads. It kind of reminds me of the orcas right off the coast of Portugal, is it? You know, where the orcas are like, fuck those boats. And the, now we've got otters saying, fuck those surfboards, right? So I'm telling you, Mother Nature's taking a turn. And then for our last article, it comes from WTVY.com. The title reads, Alabama woman who went missing after calling 911 found alive. So we love a happy ending, right? So this says, this is from Hoover, Alabama. Police say a 25-year-old Alabama woman who disappeared after calling 911 to report a toddler walking on the side of the interstate has in fact been found alive. Per the Hoover Police Department, the Hoover 911 Center received a call at 10.45 p.m. Saturday that 25-year-old Carlithia or Carly Nicole Russell had returned home to her residence. Hoover Police Chief Nicholas Durzis told WBRC that Russell showed up at her family's front door. He was not sure how she got there. Quote, she walked up, banged on the door, and that was her, he said. Hoover police and fire responded to the scene to evaluate Russell. She was taken to the hospital for further evaluation. 
Russell's return ended a 48-hour search that grabbed national attention. The circumstances of her sudden disappearance are still unclear as of Sunday morning. The mystery led to hundreds of videos and social media posts from people sharing what they think happened. We work on the facts, Durzis said. With social media, you got so many people that think they know what's taken place. Right now, we're just very pleased that she's home. End quote. Russell was reported missing Thursday. The Alabama Law Enforcement Agency issued a missing person advisory for her on Friday. So police say that the Hoover 911 Center received a call from her around 9.30 p.m. Thursday as she returned home from work. She reported seeing a toddler walking on the side of I-459 South near mile marker 11. After calling 911, Russell stopped to check on the child and called her sister-in-law around 9.36 p.m., so six minutes after the 911 call, to report the same details. The family member that Russell called told police that they could hear the woman scream before losing contact with her. Officers arrived at the scene a few minutes later and found Russell's car and some of her belongings nearby, but they were unable to locate her or a child. Hoover police also said it received no reports of a missing child. The engine was still running when they arrived at the scene. Um, there was some traffic camera video that showed the driver's side door open of a vehicle that is presumed to belong to her. Dozens of volunteers went out to look for her, but the point is, is that she is back. And I personally would like an explanation. Like, Missy, we need to know, girl, where were you? What happened? What is going on? Was there a child? At any rate, sorry that this is a day late. You know, I'm only human and days happen, right? Yesterday was a day. Today was kind of a day. But I'm not going to short you guys your Monday morning murder in the news, even if it's on Tuesday. So as I always say, it is the beginning of the week. We must endure. We're all in this together. Okay. I love you guys. Have a great week. Talk to you soon.